Hey, did you know that believing in yourself and the value that you have to offer is a skill and that you could get better at it? In this episode, I talked to serial tech entrepreneur Josh Pagley, who recognized at age 12 that he had something valuable to offer others and that he could make money from it. He found a way to communicate that value and built a business that generated more income than a lot of the adults who were in his life. We then go into how he broke into the tech industry with no knowledge or degree. If you've ever wanted to break into a new field or career, you don't want to miss this one. So grab a pen and notebook and listen in. Hey, welcome to Chasing the Kingdom, where our goal is to provide hope and wisdom for spirit-led entrepreneurs. I'm John Balawa, and I believe God wants to use entrepreneurs to make the world better. Romans 8.19 says that the world is decaying and groaning for the revealing of God's sons and daughters. And that means the world needs you. And there are problems that can't be solved until you step into your God-given identity. If you want to stir up those gifts, then you're in the right place. Let's get hyped up for today's show. Last I talked, I I mean, I know there's been a lot of changes since you and I talked. The company that you were working with is Joyfill. Yep. Is it so? Is it still called Joyfill? Yeah, we even with everything we're doing, we we took a long time to get the name and the trademarks and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we're hanging on to it. And you recently as well just sold a company you had ownership in. Uh, called Showflow. Yeah, I can't take credit for the sale, actually, but I was part of the very early team when they had no customers. And so through that process, I was awarded equity be- due to, you know, not taking uh, as high a salary or anything like that. And so I just kind of put in the extra sweat equity. And through that, I got ownership in the company. And it actually sold a couple of years after I had left and started my own business, but I still retained the ownership. So the, the guys that were running it and were the founders of it did an amazing job and were able to sell it. And it benefited me as well greatly. So I can't really take credit for it. Um, but yes, I did have uh, equity in it and ownership stake. And it was wonderful when it sold because it was a big blessing. I remember, I remember the days um actually when you and i first met yeah. uh you were that that was with showflow right yes that was when i was at show that was that was like that first year i was there yeah and i f- i feel like both of us were so green behind the ears like in tech i think that was that was my first tech job i was working with code school and then you were showflow and i think it was like some kind of networking event that we we were at yeah or you know even we were kind of sharing the space you know code school was on one side and there was this tech incubator for startups on the other side of the office, kind of like separated just by glass and a kitchen in the middle. And so I don't remember if we were at a, a co-working thing or it was just everybody was kind of out in the kitchen eating or something. And we were just both out there. I, I just remember there were a lot of people. And that, that yeah. place has probably the most interesting place that I worked at. It was, I think we were trying to be like Facebook, right? There was like beer on tap. Latte machines, free snacks, loaded fridge. Dude, I loved it because that was all code school. We were not code school, but because we were in the incubator, we got access to all that stuff. So it was awesome. Yeah, Even the we, whiskey, right? 
I never got into that. I didn't know they must have been hiding the good <laughs> stuff from us. But uh, yeah, it was cool to be there. There's a whole arcade where everyone Dude. was playing. Mm -hmm. It was, it was, it was a great spot. such a culture shock for me when I first started there. Well, and I'll uh, say one thing about you. One thing that I remember about that, I had no idea that, you know, you loved the lore or anything like that at the time. But when I met John, it was, it was his smile and his kindness. Like that's the only way I know how to describe it. And then months, months or years later, long after we were no longer a code school, you had moved to another, that invoicing, or I forget what that, that the name of that company was since then. And you were thinking about leaving and doing your own thing. I remember that, but he, that, that impression, I think we only encountered each other once. No, but that can't be because you, you and I had a you and I had a bromance going on. <laughs> I think we did, but I um I I'll be honest. I think it was made in that moment. Really, I, I you oh, know, dude. for some reason I felt, dude. No lie, I I felt such a connection with you. Same. Um, even though we we didn't see each other like often, even we were in the same space, I just felt like. You were family. I I don't know. It, I I don't I don't. You know, everyone says I'm friendly, and I yeah. am definitely an extrovert, but I don't feel that connection with everybody. No, it's rare. I I there's a couple people in my life I've had it like, uh, randomly. You, I, we met a couple. Me and my wife met a couple on our honeymoon. It was just that immediate. Even till this day, we stay in contact. Uh, very frequently I helped him with his company for a while and yeah, dude, it's, it's a rare thing to kind of create a bond or a connection with somebody so quick like that. It doesn't happen often. Well, I'm honored, um, that you just said kindness because God is actually speaking to me about kindness. I'm actually going to probably do a biblical study on kindness because I, um, what I realized when God started talking to me about kindness is that one, it's a superpower. It actually is a superpower for sure. Um, and it's one of the fruits of the spirit, but it's so misunderstood. I think people think kindness is niceness mm -hmm. and I, kindness is actually extremely powerful. It's not, it's not for weak people. I don't know. The older I get and the longer I am in entrepreneurship and business, true kindness is, seems to be what is lacking. God keeps asking me, who do you want to be as you, as you get more success? And he's constantly asking me that. Who do you want to be? Not what you want to accomplish. He keeps asking me, who do you want to be? That's cool. That's an interesting question. Let's reel it back a little bit because for the, for the listening audience, I would love to talk about how you got into an entrepreneurship. Yeah, sure. Um, I saw ever since I was a really young, this is kind of a stereotypical, like if you're listening to an entrepreneur, I started selling bubble gum or something out of a wagon. Well, mine was a lawn care company. So I, I just loved the idea of having, having the opportunity to build something for myself that I was in charge of, you know, my parents joke that I was like four years old saying I was going to have my own company. And I don't know why, obviously, I didn't even understand what it was that today. I think it is definitely a God-given calling. And even as I was older, I realized that that was not more of an entrepreneurship. Even to this day, I consider myself more of a builder 
and I can kind of define the difference between those two things. But so the, that idea of creating something, even being a lawn care business was awesome to me. It was a lot of fun. You know, I'm like a 12 year old, but I'm like purchasing lawn care equipment and interacting with adults. And it taught me a ton. Like it taught me not to fear adults. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I think sometimes as a kid, you know, you think adults are so much smarter and they are, but you feel like maybe for whatever reason you're inferior or can't hold your own. And it, that wasn't the way, because like, even though it was simple, small stuff, you know, I'm like negotiating lawn care prices with these older people going back and forth, having to state the reasons why I think I need to charge this or X, Y, or Z. So you just get comfortable talking and in some ways selling. So fast forward to that, I did that for five years. Then um, my family decided to move to Florida. This is, I had the lawn care business. I'm originally from Ohio. So Florida is all the way across the country, or I'd say down on the bottom side of the country, I was on the top side. And so obviously lawn care was very location-based and I was wondering what I would do next. I know I wanted to do something for myself and I assumed, hey, maybe I should start another lawn care business. I know that. I know how to get customers. I know how to deal with that kind of business. But it didn't, it, I don't know, some just didn't really feel right. Most of my family was in technology. So I figured, hey, I'm starting from scratch. Why don't I just explore what technology looks like? And from there, can, I got... Can I, go um, can I stop you right there? Just because we glossed over, I think, two important things. Uh, the first thing is that you, I, I, I think you're being humble by not mentioning it, but um, that that lawn care business was significant. Like you yeah. were making more than adults. Yeah. You don't have to say how much, but I, I mean, like, do you mind sharing like what you were making um, with yeah. that? Yeah, it was like, it would totally depend on the month, obviously, you know, with the jobs and some contracts for every other month. But when I did the math, if I simplified it, I had family <clears throat> that were getting minimum wage jobs and they were about $8 an hour. And so when I calculated it out on average, what I paid myself, not including expenses or anything like that, uh, all that would come out obviously. And, but what I ended up actually making myself from the business and the salary I got was $25 an hour. Wow. 12 yeah, year old. So, uh, 12, yeah. 12, and 13. And then it started going up as I got older. It started getting closer to 30, 40, 50. But yeah, at the very young age, it was 25. And you sold that business. So actually, originally, yes, I was going to, but we had to move so quick. I had no idea what that looked like. And uh, quite honestly, I was more concerned about my customer base. I would say 80% of them were senior citizens. And so I wanted to make sure that they were taken care of. And so we actually just ended up finding another, funny enough, I was, I was about 17 at the time. I found another young guy who was really interested in taking it over. So it reminded me of me. And so we actually just passed the business to him and let him take it. So I didn't end up selling it. Probably should have or sold it to him. Maybe would have valued it more. I, you know, people maybe don't value what they get for free, but Anyways, I was more concerned about somebody that wouldn't come in, take advantage of the senior citizens and um, would actually just be a good person that would work for what they could afford. I think there was that young, hungry mentality 
that I had. So a lot of the senior citizens were on tight budgets. So you'd be honestly, what was interesting, I'd go in there and say, whatever you can pay me, I'll take for a lot of people. They ended up always almost paying me more than I would have charged because they were so thankful and grateful. So I wanted that same kind of mentality and vibe. And it's very hard to find somebody like that. A lot of lawn care companies that I maybe would have passed it on to or sold it to, you know, were very um, structural. So I had a little bit of a different attachment to the business than I think most people maybe would have. And I, so that had a unique dynamic on who I could give it to. Now that you have experience with, you know, the valuations of, of companies, what do you think that was valued at? <laughs> I think purely based on annual revenue that we were generating. Um, service businesses are unique. Usually they can only maybe go for one X revenue. So maybe I could have sold it for, I didn't have a ton of equipment. So maybe like 75,000 or something like that. That is so amazing. I, when I was 12 years old, I I was thinking of toys um, and Transformers, stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't have sold it for that at 12. That was more <laughs> so like when I was going to leave, um, I probably could have got that reasonably. Maybe if I was really aggressive, could have got more or something. But again, I you just, you don't, I didn't know, I didn't even know the concept of like valuation or multiples of revenue or how that compares to like software versus service. I didn't understand any of that stuff. I was just trying to build something. And here's the other thing I wanted to mention, because now this is the first time you mentioned it to me. And, but it gives me an understanding of why you have so much grit. Uh, because guys, I've watched Josh, I've watched him go through some hard times and I've seen him just get back up. I've seen him push through some very, very difficult times. And you you mentioned that not being afraid of adults. Mm -hmm. You I think you you said you don't know if this, if it's if that's a skill. It is. It actually that's actually a skill. And you know, especially in this season, God has really been speaking to me about identity and how important identity is. And I do believe guys if you're listening to this podcast, I do believe God is speaking to you about identity. I think, you know, yeah. anyone who will take the time to listen to this podcast, I believe God is talking to you about identity. Here's the thing about identity, which leads to grit. You have to believe that something is for you. You won't ever fight for anything if you don't believe it's for you. Mm -hmm. And so... There's a weird teaching in the church that we are nothing and that we don't deserve anything. And it breeds this weird false humility because humility is true humility. Godly humility is so different than insecurity. Mm -hmm. If you're insecure you won't ever go after what God may be trying to give you because you don't feel like you deserve it. But the fact that you, you learn to not fear your customers, yeah. the, the, the adults, because you didn't fear them. You were, you went to them and say, Hey, I got something I'm valuable. And what I have to offer is valuable. That's humility. 
humility isn't recognizing your uh, your strengths. You know, if Brad Pitt goes around saying that he's ugly, we all know he's a liar. You know. Yeah. Um. So, um, someone like Brad Pitt, if they're humble, doesn't say they're ugly. They don't go the opposite way. They just say, "Well, I recognize that I'm attractive." And that works with movies. I'm going to do movies and work on my craft. Doesn't make me better than anybody else, but I'm going to use what God has given me and I'm going to, you know, move further ahead. And that's, that is a skill. Uh, that yeah. is a, a skill that you have to teach your soul. Um, and true humility recognizes our strengths, uses it in a godly way, but doesn't shun it. Does that make sense? Yeah, and if I could make a point too, when I, I like to think of humility, it, it's it's not so much external as it is internal. <clears throat> humility is more of a state of your heart than it is an expression of how you talk or act. Because if you look at, let's just take like King David, that dude was one of the most dangerous people on planet Earth. Like personally at his hand, he not only slayed giants, but he personally slaughtered thousands of well-trained warriors. Yet when you look at Psalms, his heart is so humble that he says, essentially, Lord, it's my love for you that gives me your strength. You're the one that trained my hand for battle. Without you, I'm essentially nothing. That was one of the most fierce, strong, skilled, dangerous people you would have encountered in that day and age. But his heart was a different person. Now, he can't be humble when he's running into battle. It's not like, well, I'm not so good. No, you can't lead an army. If you're like, oh, man, I mean, I think God called me. I mean, I think I can kill. You know, I think I can conquer. Dude, your guys would be like, peace. I'm not following you. So humility is not a false external expression. Humility is a state of being based on your dependence and reliance upon God and the reality that sets on your heart. So yeah, that's the way I like to think of it. It's false humility is exactly the idea of Brad Pitt saying I'm ugly. Like that's just, you're just, that's just like some weird mind game. You're just like a weird, that's like insecure, oblivious delusion. That's not even humility. So yeah, it's a state of, it's a state of your heart. It's not, you degrading yourself or uh, trying to put yourself down and at, at, at the altar of humility. That, that's not what that is. I, that's so powerful that I, you know, it's weird because I think in our society today, everyone is being shamed to be nice and kind. Um, yeah. And so what we have is a bunch of people who have been trained to externally act kind and nice, but they're not really kind and nice. In fact, that's, what, as I said before, I think what people are mistaking um, niceness for is kindness. They think that's being kind. But like I said, I'm just, I'm getting revelation on what true kindness is. Kindness is powerful. Kindness is when a warrior king can slaughter the enemy, but bring justice and, and compassion on the people he rules over, you know, yeah. kindness is not cowardly. It's not weak. And mm -hmm. we really need authenticity. We need this stuff. You know, we need to stop being so afraid 
of offending people and step off this act of what we think other people expect from us mm-hmm. and connect to our true identity. Yeah, for sure. So uh, back to what you were saying, tech. So how did you get into tech? I love this story, by the way. Yeah, so the programming started where I was starting to get interested in tech, but I was doing more of like IT stuff. I don't know, for whoever that makes sense to. It's like I was fixing computers and all that kind of stuff. It's There's two different things. And I remember my brother came to me. He said, hey, I have this idea. That's something to do with like anybody knows what like Google AdWords, but for like TV. So like TV commercials, the ability to like bid on spots and automate that and all that kind of stuff. Little did we know that TV was going to disappear as we know it uh, in its traditional cable form. But anyways, whatever. I was like, oh, that kind of was a cool idea. Like that makes sense. So when I started thinking about the idea, I knew that I would have to learn how to program because it was a technical product. So I essentially just started diving into that world, reading technical books, trying to explore programming. And so it was an idea that led me to start doing that. And then that is when I realized that it's not something you just like passively pick up over a couple of weeks, especially not to build like real quality products. Um, You could probably hack something together that's really sketchy, but yeah, if you want to build real products that are actually valuable, then it's a real craft. It's a real skill set. So anyways, I learned it was a humbling experience. I learned how steep the learning curve was. And that's when I realized I needed to get around really smart people that know how to do this because I'm, I'm learning on my own, but it's, it's just beyond what I realized. And I didn't know anybody that had started like a tech company and built a tech product. And that in and of itself is different than building or just knowing how to program. So anyway, so that's when I found actually through my brother's friend, there was this company called Seven Gun Games. It was a game development company based out of Ocala, Florida. It was probably the only tech company in Ocala, Florida that I knew of. And I showed up and some of the guys were hanging outside and I said, Hey, you know, I started talking about technology and I was excited about programming stuff. They're like, Oh, you know how to program? And I was like, yeah, I didn't. And they're like, Oh, great. Come on, like join the team. And I was like, great. And so in that whole experience, I told them, they're like, well, what are you getting to know? By the way, I had read like one chapter out of a book. Anybody that knows anything about programming, I didn't know a lick about programming. It's like saying I'm a brain surgeon because I read a chapter out of one science book about brain surgery, okay? And so I was like, oh, you know, I'm doing this kind of, this specific style. It's called like building APIs. Like, great, you'll build our API. I'm like, nice. I didn't even know what an API was, if I'm being 100% honest. I just read the term in the book. And, uh, but it was one of those things that something about my past experience or my personality, I was like, all right, I can figure this out. I can do this. Like, I'll, I'll get it figured out. And there is that total like imposter syndrome. You're like, I don't know if I can, I actually do this. I don't know, you know, but during that season, I was brought into that company. And I think pretty quickly they realized that I was not like an experienced developer but in the best way, the guys that were there, there were a couple guys, they were, it was so wonderful. They really took the time 
to explain things. And I thought I was putting on a good act, you know, like pretending I knew what I was doing. But then I remember some of the questions I was asking them about what this was, or how to do it. And they were probably thinking, this dude is so green, such a newbie. But they never, they never said anything. They were always just so helpful and patient. And that was so critical. Now, granted, I wasn't being paid. I was working there for free for a year. So it wasn't like I lied to them and I was getting paid for the for it. I, I was literally there for free. So they probably thought, hey, what's the harm? This guy isn't costing us anything. Um so anyways, because I was doing it for free, they were really helpful. And it, it, that was very key in my development is getting around people that were smarter than me, that had done this before. That went me from like, if I could use an analogy of like the acceleration phase of like of the skill set, learning on my own, I was moving at like five miles per hour. But the moment I started getting around these guys, I could have moved for five miles per hour for a year just doing it myself. But it started going to like 10 miles an hour, 10 miles or 15, 20. And you start accelerating at a much faster rate, getting around smarter people. So that was really important. So I don't know if you want to pause there, if there's anything you want to address or I yeah, can keep going. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Yeah. I, and I'm trying to not laugh into the microphone. Like I have this yeah. big smile and, and like Josh is seeing me smile <laughs> because I think the story is so funny. Um, it actually reminds me and Josh, you got to listen to, uh, I had Carlos Reyes on, but he is an excellent programmer. Very, uh, does very, very well. And now he owns a digital agency you know, in charge of a bunch of different developers. But when he, the way he got into uh, tech was that he was working for this company. He didn't know much about tech. He didn't even know IT stuff. He was trying to make a logo for something and he didn't know how to make a logo. So during lunch, um, he was he went outside and, and started trying to make a logo. The CEO passed, was passing by, behind him and said, you, come with me, because he saw him making a logo. He thought he was in trouble. He's like, oh, great, I'm going to get fired now. Brings him to the to, to a room full of developers and says, hey, guys, this is your new developer. I saw him making a logo. He didn't know that that Carlos didn't know anything about tech. Wow. And those people were like, okay. And when they found out he didn't know how to program, they just taught him, you know? Yes. And, and in his case, he was paid. You know, the, he was paid as a developer, not knowing how to develop. And so I, I kind of wanted to mention that, guys, to you listeners, because God is going to be, if this is your calling, if kingdom entrepreneurship is your calling, God is going to be placing you in places you've never been before. Mm -hmm. Guess what happens when you go to places that you've never been before? You suffer imposter syndrome. It yes. actually is normal. It's normal in this thing. If you're being stretched, you're experiencing imposter syndrome. If you're not experiencing imposter syndrome, something's wrong because you're not yeah. growing. You're not yeah. being put in places that are un uncomfortable. I used to, I mean, I still suffer from imposter syndrome, but it used to be, I felt debilitating, uh, making me depressed. Because I was like, man, you know, I do not belong here. 
I am around people who are way smarter than me, who know so much more than me. But after a while, I started to see this would never end if God was going to take me to further growth. And you kind of have to have that grit that we talked about in the beginning. You For have sure. to settle within yourself that you belong here, that your presence is valuable, and that God thinks enough about your presence to place you there. And you shouldn't have to apologize for your presence. Like if yes. God like puts you in a place, you got to own that. You better own that. Because if David did that, no one would have followed him. Just like Josh said, he wouldn't have been able to accomplish those great deeds if he fell into that imposter syndrome. And I bet he suffered so much because I mean, think about it, you know, like Saul, everyone thought Saul was going to be king because he was taller. He was much more good looking. He looked like a king. And here's this boy tending the sheep, you know, that no one paid attention to. They didn't even know where he was. They had to seek him and, and, and they made, and God made him king. Imagine the imposter syndrome that he experienced. So if you're experiencing imposter syndrome, just want to we just want to encourage you. That's actually part of the process. You're, you're going yeah. the right direction. And I'll say one thing about the imposter syndrome thing. I think one thing I learned through that experience, just like practical, useful advice, if you find yourself there. This is humble, meaning don't don't degrade yourself, but be transparent with the people that you have kind of created a bond with, don't be like, I don't know anything. I shouldn't be here. That's not what I'm saying. Express admiration for their skill sets, where they have gone, what they have accomplished, and express that you're early and you're trying to get there too. So you don't have to say, oh, you know, I kind of suck at this. I don't know anything. But you could just say, hey, man, I'm so early. I want to be where you're at. I'm, I'm trying to learn as fast as I can but can you give me pointers? Is there anything I should be paying attention to? Is there any books I should be reading? Is there any courses I should be reading? And then work your butt off. The people that you're putting yourself in, that you're experiencing uh, imposter syndrome, express genuine gratitude and admiration for where they're at. Express that you're trying to go there too, and then work your butt off so that they can see your progress. Nothing is more annoying than somebody that's drawing on your time and then not doing anything. But if somebody's asking for help or you're giving them directions to, and then over and over, you're continuing to see them progress and achieve and grow, then it's cool. You get to see that. So I would say, put yourself in that position and that mentality, and that'll help you in that phase. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So uh, where you in this tech journey, you're, you're, yeah. you know, I guess they're helping you and you're, you're moving up. I'm moving up. So I'm getting to the point where I've worked there for free for almost a year. Now, things are kind of starting to fall apart. I think a lot of people were doing the best they could. Uh, but there were some things that I don't want to really speak negatively of anybody, but there were just some things that were being done with money and the company that were leading to its demise. And I remember, I literally remember where I was thinking there was a big lots parking lot where we would park because there wasn't enough parking in the, the little cold, little uh, shopping plaza where we had our office. I remember I was walking. It was, you know, maybe a minute walk from this parking lot to the office. And I remember 
thinking to the Lord, like, why, why can't I be the one that started the business? You know, you're getting in tech and so you hear the dreams of like Mark Zuckerberg and Instagram and the Google guys and these like sparks of in- innovation and ideas. And it just like overnight grows to a billion dollar company. And I'm like, why can't that be me? You know, got like, why, what? I, I know how to program. Now, at that point, I was kind of learning a skill set. I thought I was getting better. Little did I know that there was a massive still, uh, a, a massive journey ahead to keep, continue growing. And this is one of the only time, I mean, I've heard a couple times from the Lord where it was like, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was a voice almost like in your head. I don't know how to describe it besides that. And I didn't even know what it meant. And it came out of nowhere. So I knew that that's why it wasn't me. It said, you're David, not Saul. Now, the to be 100% transparent, the only thing I knew is that Saul ended bad, ended up being the bad guy, and David was the good dude. And you hear a lot of good stuff about David, so he's the better one. So I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. But I had no idea what that meant. So I'm like, I kind of was like mulling over it. Well, anyway, so I figured, hey, I should read about this story. Long story short, if you look at the journey of Saul, he was a man that was the Mark Zuckerberg. Not to say that Mark Zuckerberg would end bad, but he was just anointed king placed in that position. David's journey to becoming king was a journey of faithful service and sacrifice under Saul. Even when he was exiled and being hunted by Saul, he was still faithful and honored him as king. And so I realized that and I was like, dang it. That's not really, I hope that's not what this means. But little did I know that that was going to be my journey, working under other great entrepreneurs, learning this craft of how to build a business, how to build this skill set that I would then use to eventually start my own one day. But it wasn't what I necessarily wanted to hear, but that just was what God had in, in store for my path, at least. And that happened right before I was leaving uh, Seven Gun to join Showflow, and Showflow is really where I accelerated at a rate that was far beyond anything I expected. Now, that's interesting that you heard the voice. Did you start in business with like your faith, or is it something that developed? And if it developed, like how how did that get introduced, and how did that grow? So. I think in business, in this journey, I always grew up, gosh, there's kind of a two-part breakdown, but we're not to that point in the story. But so at this point, I obviously, you know, I would have considered myself a Christian. I believed in God. Um, You know, I tried to live well. Uh, But I would say I was serving more of my career in the idea of business than I was even serving God. But even in his grace and mercy, he knows that and he, we're all figuring it out. So even in that moment, I would say, yes, I had faith and belief, but it was definitely more focused on what I wanted to do. Uh, my my idea of becoming this young billionaire, you know, it was more me focused. And even in that, you know, God was like, all right, here's some grace. Anyways, I'm going to give you a little tip about your journey. Here you go, buddy. Uh, just mole on that. So as you kind of go through these next couple seasons, you're not just, I don't know, I don't know how to put it. You're not, 
distraught or discouraged that you're still working for people and you don't have your own multi-million dollar business or something yet, you know, just understand this is your season. So even though I didn't like that, I thought it was cool. Never, like I said, the idea of hearing something from God was kind of really cool. I just didn't really like what I heard. Uh, so yeah, at this point it was faith-based, but also me-based. I don't know if that makes sense. That makes total sense. Yeah. So anybody that's been in a career, you can, it's hard to describe, but you can feel the grace of the season lifting. You know, I think as time goes on, you become more sensitive to that feeling. But I was at Showflow, or sorry, I was still at Seven Gun. I was, like I said, I was working there for free for about a year. And just for whatever reason, I felt like you don't know exactly what's next, but you just feel like the season's coming to an end. And funny enough, as I started feeling that, they started paying me. So I only got paid for about three weeks working there. But that was exactly when I was already starting to feel like I had to go. And so I didn't know what to do next. I didn't have any plans. No, I didn't get recruited or anything like that. I just started driving from Ocala to Orlando, which is about an hour and a half away to just go to tech meetups. Well, in that, I met another entrepreneur, one of the guys that helped start Showflow. And we just started talking. We kind of hit it off. I was that same thing. I was like, dude, I want to do what you're doing. You have your own startup. You're a programmer. Like, that's so cool. Genuine admiration. It wasn't faked. I was genuinely very interested and admired what he had done. And so he goes, all right. Uh, yo, like, are you, have you ever thought about, uh, you know, looking for another job or an opportunity? And at that point I was kind of like, yeah, I mean, I actually am, but I was like, yeah, I'd be totally interested in like talking more. So he goes, great. We do a code interview. This is where I thought I was good. He started asking me questions. I'm going to, this is so hilarious. So anybody that feels like they're not good enough. I killed my camera and my computer. I killed the video call in the middle of the interview to look up the answer to the question. And then I came back in and I said, oh, dude, my video got killed. I'm not sure what happened. So I don't recommend lying, but that's that's how that happened. And I think he, I honestly feel like he knew. He knew. But I'll be honest, I think he hired me, and this sounds funny, but because he just liked me as a person. <laughs> I, I am I, laughing. I, I genuinely believe that. This is such a lesson, such a lesson on how the favor of God works. I have been in tons of those experiences, and I'm so glad we're talking about it because mm -hmm. I, I honestly think the, the audience needs to hear that. I think that you know, you guys are going to be put in positions where God is giving you favor and you're not going to know. And I love that you, <laughs> you shut off the camera to find the answer. I, I think that's hilarious. Yeah. I'll be honest. I bombed the interview, even, even looking at the answer, but there were so many questions even after that, that I would just be like, I don't know. And he'd be like, ah, oh, that's fine. You could just Google it. You know? So like, like I just did that actually, but so I entered and that's when I think I got there and, and I saw what they were doing. It was at a whole different level than I had previously been exposed to. And that's, I, I took that same posture, genuine admiration saying, dude, this is so cool. I want to be where you're at. 
And so when you, when you treat people that way, they're more motivated to help you and support you because they're, people crave the feeling of importance. So there is an exchange there, not, not in a manipulative way, but you are genuinely expressing something that is truth to you. And it is feeding a deep desire with them. And that's the feeling of importance, the feeling of recognition. So that is very powerful. Do not underestimate that when you don't feel like you're bringing anything to the table. That's one thing you can pull out of your arsenal to get favor and help from people that may not normally pay you uh, normally any attention. You know, um, Gary Vaynerchuk put a post out recently, which I totally wholeheartedly believe in now. I didn't believe in this in my earlier years, but after being around a good amount of people in different businesses, I totally believe this now. And he said, it is far better to work with C minus skilled people who are A plus human beings than to work with A plus skilled people who are C minus human beings. Yep. And his reasoning is because it affects the culture. It affects the whole, you know, effectiveness of the company. And I totally believe that. I, I would rather just be around people that you could trust, that are dependable, that are kind, truly kind, not just nice, but authentically kind. Yeah, th I did think of something that's a tad off topic. But since we're just talking about like grace and favor, I think something important that I'm, I can't take credit for doing it because I don't think I realized it now, but there is a stereotype in kind of Christian realm where the favor of God allows you to do less. I don't believe that. I think I absolutely believe God can do anything and, you know, but I don't think that you should ever assume that just because you have faith, or even if you wholeheartedly believe that God has placed you in that position, like you are favored and called, that you will be required, that you will be able to slack. If anything, you will be required to give more. And you should feel the responsibility to give more, because if you genuinely believe that that God has put you there, then you have no excuse than to really give your all because you're serving him, not the person. So never just assume that God is your shortcut, your crutch, your lottery ticket. Show up and do your part in the co-laboring with God. He will do his, but always go above and beyond what even the people you're sitting next to are doing. Because that's what will help you maintain and grow. If you're called by God and you sit in that chair and you don't do what you're supposed to do, I genuinely think it'll be taken away from you. Right. Whether by the business or even by God, because if you don't steward faithfully what he's given you, then it'll be taken. So anyways, I just, I, I think that's really important. Drive that in. This is not an excuse to be lazy, even if you are dripping in the favor of God and absolutely called to sit where you are show up more than anybody else. That's just... powerful. So grace is an enabler, 
It's not a cover up. Mm -hmm. Grace is empowers you to do more and to be more. It's not so that you could become lazy. For sure. Hey, I hope you like the show. If you got something from it and want to bless me back, leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and also subscribe to my channel. If you want to connect with me on social media, my Instagram is at kingdom.moves. I pray that God gives you hope and that you step into everything he's got planned for you. Peace. Peace.